0: Well, good Friday morning, everybody. It is the 4th of February, and my title today is Lessons from the Olympics. Last night, my wife and I watched the beginnings of the Winter Olympics in Beijing, China. The opening ceremony is today, but parts of the team skating competition started last night. These athletes have been skating probably since they learned to walk. They skate in pairs, and they had been skating together in pairs for years. Why? Because it takes years to perfect their sport. Olympic skaters train anywhere from three to six hours a day for ten years to become good enough to compete on the world stage. Only the best competes, and only the best survives. It is grueling work demanding that you not only uh, have to have the talent to skate, but the drive to become the best. And one's drive is tested in the hours one spends practicing, not before a crowd, but in a quiet rink with their coach and little to no recognition. Back in the 70s, my friends and I, we played sports because they were fun. We enjoyed being together on a team and competing against other teams. Practice time, sure, we did a little bit. A couple of hours after classes to get us in shape, learn the plays, develop our skills. But we never won any real championships. Uh, But we sure had a good time. And then in college, after practice, consumed a lot of beer but I digress. Usually within the arena in which a competition is taking place, you have several different kinds of people. There are athletes there, obviously, the coaches, the friends, maybe the parents of the participants, and maybe even a photographer for the yearbook. And maybe, just maybe, if someone on the team is good enough a scout from a college, seeing if you or they have what it takes to go to the next level. So if being a Christian were a sport, where would you fit in the scheme of things? One thing I know for sure, no matter how good or how bad you can play the game, you've been drafted. (laughs) <laughs> the Bible says we were chosen by God before the creation of the world and predestined to be on his team and given a jersey. So we're supposed to be playing. And every day, by the way, we're the starter on our team. And the first thing we ought to do every day is to go to the team meeting and meet with the coach. The coach knows what lies ahead for us. We are often too nearsighted to see what is next and either rejoicing or mourning what happened in the last game or the last day. We might be injured and needing some time to heal up or even badly beaten the last day and have little heart to compete again the next day. But, Compete we must, because we're not in a game, we're in a battle. Our opponent is not someone about the same shape, size, and strength that we are. No, our opponents are evil, and their intent is not just to knock us down, but to wipe us out. They want us on the injured list so that we won't suit up, at all, for the next day. We have a daily enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus called him the father of lies. And his arena, where he pounds the crap out of us, is called Pornville. And it seems that no matter how many times we've stepped into his arena, thinking, well, maybe we become strong enough to defeat him, No, we get defeated again by our own flesh, our own desires, and we find ourselves once again face down in the dirt and defeated. So let me ask you a serious question. Is this the way you want to spend the rest of your Christian life or the rest of your life, getting defeated multiple times a day by your never-ending hunger for sexual sin? will there ever come a time when you are so sick of your sin and sick of yourself that you finally realize you need some help? And listen, my friends, we all do. Do you just hope that the enemy will stop showing up and pounding you into the ground and just let you rest on the sideline? Well, Sad to say, he will not. And he does not because he will not be satisfied with just defeating you another day. He does not just want you defeated. He wants you dead. He will push us to the very limits of our existence, filling us up with more and more of our sexual sin. He does this because he has his end game in mind. And that is not only to kill you, but to take out as many of your family and friends as possible. Listen, he is the master of luring us into the arena of sexual sin and gets us deeper into more revolting sexual sins that we ever could have imagined. We could have never believed that we would be doing some of the things that we end up doing. But now that this sin is presented to you, you feel powerless to resist. And then suddenly, while you're gorging yourself with what has become your latest low of lows, he flips on all the lights so you're caught in these sins and your loved ones find you repugnant. Then he knows that he has you trapped and he has you addicted. And were it not, For the grace of God, the presence of his Holy Spirit, and a community of other brothers to help you, you will remain entangled in that web of sin from which you will not be able to escape on your own. When the lights are turned on and your sin is found out, it may or may not be the death of everything you hold dear, Some marriages just blow up. Some marriages somehow survive and end up being stronger. Others enter a season of life that is truly miserable and painful, and without having the strength or desire to do what it takes to heal, you remain that way till death do you part. If that is where you are, my friends... Having been discovered and your sin revealed, I want you to know that I have been there as well for probably two years at least from my disclosure, living in the twilight zone where things were not as they seemed and, and I felt like uh, my next step, I could hear the click of a landmine under my foot. There are no feelings of peace, and that everything will be okay. No, everything has not been okay, is not okay now, and may never be okay again, as long as you try to keep your sins secret. If you survive, there will be scars reminding you of the pain and damage you've caused your loved ones and yourself. So there's a lot of work that will need to be done to not only unentangle you from your sexual brokenness, but perhaps even save your marriage and your family. I wandered in that desert of insecurity, having to live one day at a time and trusting God for my future for two to three years. And I did that and I survived by the grace of God. If you want help, to work your way out of the pit into which you've fallen. You're going to need to ask for help, and that's why we're here. But you will have to let us know that you want help. Listen, this Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to be having an open Zoom meeting for anybody that wants to attend, and the the Zoom link will be in my email, and at 9 p.m. Sunday night, I'd like to just meet with you, and we can talk. You can be anonymous. I don't need to know who you are or what your name is or where you live. I just want to talk with you about sexual brokenness and also answer any questions that you might have about what your next steps should be. So Sunday night at 9 o'clock, and then, of course, ongoing every week, we have online support teams to which you are always welcome. This is John Doyle with 180 Podcasts. God bless you, my friends. Have a great day in the Lord and worship him on Sunday. Be filled with the spirit. Walk with the full armor of God on and glorify the Lord in everything you do. God bless you. Take care and goodbye.